0: Welcome to Sound Stories, a Seattle soccer podcast from ESPN 710. I'm your host, Spencer Davis, and our guest today is Steve Zakawani, former Sounders player and current club broadcaster. We're going to be talking to Steve about his playing days, his relationship with the Sounders and their fans, and why Seattle has the greatest soccer culture in America. Steve is also going to tell a few of his favorite stories from his many years in Seattle. Thanks for coming on, Steve. I really appreciate uh, you doing this. Uh first, just uh give give a short background of how you became a sounder the first time.
1: Oh man. Um well I came from the University of Akron in Ohio. So I was the um, the number one pick in two thousand and nine, the sounders inaugural season, the expansion year. Um, you know, before that I grew up in London playing over there, you know, grew up playing in the Arsenal youth team and the academy over there. And and in Ohio did my freshman year my sophomore year then I was drafted here um, Ziggy Schmidt used to coach in Columbus Ohio so he had been to some of my games in person back then a lot of college players weren't really that well known the games weren't televised weren't really over on YouTube but the fact that Ziggy could physically come and see me um, that helped me out because I didn't have a greatest of combines um, I wasn't in shape or anything like that but they had seen me and he vouched for me to Adrian and Chris Hennesson and those guys and they drafted me. And that's pretty much how I yeah, I ended up coming to Seattle.
0: Yeah. And so you were you were the first draft pick? Yeah, kind in two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's a lot of expectations right there too. And there was a lot a lot kind of yeah. uh, unknown about Seattle. Was it was it mostly Ziggy or what what really felt good about that being picked by Seattle?
1: No, I remember being in my hotel in St. Louis on the day of the draft. And Alexi Lala's called my hotel room. Um he was doing the ESPN coverage and I guess he had to get like a quote for the coverage from me. because um, they knew I'd be a high pick, we didn't know where. And he asked me where do you want to go? And I said, No, Seattle. You know, not to be the number one pick, but because I heard they'd sold nineteen thousand season tickets. I think it was that. Um they'd signed Freddie Lundberg, who I knew not personally, but from watching, growing back home in the Arsenal youth team while he was in the first team. I'd grown up watching Casey Keller. He was here. And also that going to an expansion team, everyone starting from scratch for the most part. And I'll have a better chance of earning my spot rather than going to an LA who are at the number three pick where they have their team and it'd be harder to crack that. So a lot of things pointed upwards for Seattle. And then obviously there was a coach who really wanted me to come here.
0: Great. And what were your first... Uh impressions of Seattle soccer culture when you got here, especially it being new, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, it was like took me by surprise. You know, we um uh, you know, came in, we did a preseason in Argentina that year. Um and then we were kind of away, went to Ventura in California. So we were away from Seattle itself, kind of getting to know each other, bonding, playing games, you know, I was getting my feet wet at the pro level. And then we came back and then that first game against New York, I think it took everyone by surprise. Um, from Ziggy to down like um Freddie lumber guys you've played around the world we didn't expect that an mls game would um have that kind of noise that we couldn't hear each other on the field um all the confetti that was dropping from the sky during the, it was just like an insane atmosphere so after that you know I, I don't want to say i got used to it it became normal but for every single game i ever played at quest field and then central Link field um it was always took a moment to look around and say, like, this this is unbelievable. Like, not every city in the States gets this. Like, we're fortunate to be playing here. So I think the atmosphere was great from that perspective. And then just being out in the streets and people knowing who we were, soccer players, that doesn't happen in every city. They care about the team and people saying good luck this weekend or let's talk about the game the last weekend. Um, I just feel it felt a lot. How a European feel? I grew up in England where we just talk football all day and you get that in Seattle, which for me is just the best thing. That's great. And I mean, you, you had a great,
0: great couple of years here and stuff before your your unfortunate injury. And, and that was another thing that Dave Clark talked about last week was just the, the massive support behind you yeah. um, at that time. And just the, he, he specifically spoke to the anger that he personally felt about it, about uh-huh. your injury. Um, yeah. what, what, what was it like having that support of the city behind you?
1: No, it was huge. You know, I'd always felt the support from the fans, because you know, I came in um, as a young kid as a rookie, and you know, was playing often. It wasn't like um, I, Ziggy gave me an opportunity; I didn't have to like bide my time. I just was thrown in right away, and you know, had a decent rookie year, and then had a really good second year, and then was having a really, really good third year, and then the injury happened. But um, no, the support was amazing. It just was no less than I'd expect from people in Seattle. Um, it was from online to actual letters I mean I think we ended up stopping counting but it was in the thousands of physical letters that was received Um, you know messages that were sent in to me via the sounders from people around the world actually it was coming so the story people watched it all over the world and um, yeah just the support from the organization themselves from Adrian down to um you know the the Dave Clarks of this world people like that who I see what they write and know that they're following they were spreading attention to what I was going through and through the rehab and just everything and then the comeback obviously um hearing how loud the stadium was for me to play just five minutes um it was amazing so I you know I still have some memories from that time like around the house like different photos people made of me that fans had signed um different plaques I still have that stuff because it was you know one of the most defining moments of my life to this point yeah
0: great and and even though the the rivalry with portland and seattle can be can be heated at times you know some players don't get quarter um especially playing for the other team you spend a little time with portland but the the people that i have talked to say i would have loved to see him score a hat trick but portland still lose (laughs) like is that something that you expected to, for, to, for people to be still supportive of you?
1: No, to be fair, I didn't. I thought, um, you know, when I went down to Portland, that um, that would kind of sever a lot of the love that was two ways, from Seattle fans to me and from me to them. But um, I came back to Seattle twice in a week as a Portland Timbers player, once at Starfire and then once at CenturyLink, like on a Wednesday and a Sunday. And the reception was amazing. Um, it was really, really heartfelt. It was amazing um, to hear that from the fan base. And, you know, I always wanted the fans in Seattle to understand that my my time in Portland, like my ties to Portland is very different to Seattle. Um, Portland is the people there. Um, the culture of Portland is brought me to this country um, in 2007 when he was still in Ohio. So I've known him since back then. Guys that I played with in college and was, you know, roommates with and hanging out with in the dorms they played on the timbers now so these are like my real life friends who i had the chance to play with again if they'd been in kansas i'd have gone there if they'd been in houston i'd gone there wherever they were i needed a break um just because my the last 18 months at that point was really hard rehab wise i thought that a fresh start might help me um to get back to where i wanted to get to and being with people who i knew before i'd ever become a pro might help that so they just happened to be in Portland, which was the worst thing for me (laughs) being a soundless player but um that was the reasoning for that. But my ties to Seattle isn't with the people. It's with Seattle itself. Um Ziggy was my culture. Ziggy's gone. I'm still tied to the Sounders. Um if Adrian sold the team, I would still be tied to the Sounders. It's like that's it's a much stronger tie than if the people in Portland leave, then that's done for me. So um yeah, but I just I feel I'm a sounder in my blood. Like I had a stint in Portland and I think the fans understand that. I'm really appreciative of that actually. Yeah.
0: Great. And 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 you've seen both sides of the rivalry too, in, in a way. And having grown up in a you know in an Arsenal and knowing yeah. the rivalries there with Tottenham and things like that, how does the Seattle Portland rivalry compare to to some of these great worldwide rivalries? To you,
1: for me, it compares. Like I see it as one of the great ones. Growing up, the ones we always heard of was the one they call the Old Firm derby, Rangers and Celtic, Merseyside derby, Liverpool Everton, the Milan derby, um, the Inter and AC. The North London Derby, Arsenal-Tottenham, which I was very much a part of, um, from playing against their youth teams to watching um, the Thierry Henrys and Robert Perez and Patrick Vieiras playing for the first team against Tottenham and really wanting them to win that game more than any other. Um, the Manchester Derby, there's so many. And then uh, Portland, Seattle, and to a lesser extent, both those teams of Vancouver. But I think it's Portland and Seattle that stands up above. And because there's a genuine, genuine, deep, It's a healthy hatred for one another. It's healthy. It doesn't spill over, but you really want to beat that team and prove you're better because of the proximity um, that they are to you. So the atmosphere in those games is more charged up. The fans, they care more. The players, they care more. They run harder. Just something about that game that makes everyone tune in a lot more. And for me, it's just having played on both sides, having played in both stadiums, and now being on the outside and kind of seeing it, uh, nah, it's really, really genuine. It's not a manufactured rivalry. It's a real with history behind it as well. So it's huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there any particular memory of of a, a Cascadia rivalry that, that you remember, whether you played or whether yeah. you just witnessed it?
1: No, I played. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually play that many games against mm-hmm. Portland because they came. Yeah. You know, and then I played a tiny bit, got injured, and then came back and played a little it's bit. But no. About a season. Yeah. So when Caleb Porter took the Portland job. And they came um, up to Seattle for the first time to play against us. Um, I think that game, it was, people don't remember it probably, but we talk about it amongst ourselves, me and some of my friends on Portland. Um, I think the game ended 1-1. Um, we were winning 1-0. It was Oba's debut for us. And Rodney Wallace scored a header for them late on. And the reason I remember that game is because up until that point, we always knew we were going to beat Portland. It was like, it was a rivalry, but we were better. And then Caleb came and kind of gave them this swagger and signed Valeri and he gave Darlington a lot more confidence and they were a better team. And it was like, we're not going to lose to these guys at home. Like We need to actually compete. And the game was a really good game of football. I remember it. And, you know, DeAndre was just starting out at the time. And it was it it, it was a lot of Akron people on the field. So mm. just playing in that. And I had that assist to Eddie in that game, um, to EJ. And, um, yeah, it was just, that was one of the most fun football, pure football games I've been a part of. Lots of good players on the field.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um and and since you know in the past couple of years you've you've come back to seattle you've you've become part of the broadcast team for the sounders and stuff um what about the city was it that drew you back that drew you to be to make it uh at least part time home for you? yeah you
1: know to be honest like when i um when i retired or knew i was gonna retire i was like um you know i'm gonna stop playing i didn't want to know what was next i, I didn't have a plan b i wasn't thinking this is what i'm gonna do i i didn't know um, at the time, I was kind of writing my book, um, which was therapy for me during that time. And then um, I sent Adrian and Ziggy and Chris Henderson an email separately before I retired, before I'd announced it publicly, just letting them know, giving them a heads up uh, and you know, kind of thanking them for you know bringing me to Seattle in the first place. And Adrian called me right after that, um, he phoned me up and said, come up to Seattle. And I couldn't be out there for another couple of weeks. But when I did come up, we had a brief conversation and from that, I knew I'd be involved somehow. I didn't know what it was. You know, you look at coaching or you look, there's different, with the academy or you, different things you can be involved in. And it kind of just happened that, no, you know, the um, producer of our pregame show called me up and was like, how about media work, broadcast work? And I'd never done it, had no training, didn't think that's what I wanted to do. And so I said, I'll help you out on a few games um, this year and that was a 2015 season and then joined that team and then loved you know being around Taylor Graham and Marcus Hanneman and Casey and someone at the time Ross and Jackie like I knew these people and to be with them was cool and then I began to travel with them and our road trips were fun because I used to hate traveling as a player because those road trips weren't fun because you're just so you're on lockdown team walk team mm-hmm. dinner team meeting scouting report you but here we just landed and could do whatever we wanted to do And i got to see a lot more of the cities and then was able to talk about the game i'm watching you know ober and clint do one twos around everyone then i get to dissect it like that was fun for me it was a different way to stay involved so um and it's just grown it's just grown i've enjoyed it more and more and they've given me more responsibility with it and the more i do it um i'm enjoying that aspect of seeing the game so it ended up being a natural fit and then now like you know i'm on twitter and i interact with people and i I, you know i talk back with people and i have my views and they have their views and it's great like i enjoy being not a player but someone who can interact and engage in the game as a fan and doing that i couldn't imagine any other city than seattle where i could do that so this is great
0: yeah like the, you, you mentioned not being able to do that in other cities but like now that you're more part of the media than yeah. part of than as a player kind of what, what like makes the media here different like when I'm in the press box it's very full I talk to other mm-hmm. beat writers in other cities and they say you know there's just a couple people in there what makes it different why why do we have such a healthy thriving soccer media culture yeah I,
1: th- I think there's a couple things I think um there's so many different outlets first of all that want to cover the sounders and so much content you can go to um for post game reports or um, just news surrounding the team um, there's people going to training all the time and they all kind of cover the team in different ways so I think just that I think helps us for the people here and I think they're educated in Seattle where I always give you example when I was in England I was about nine years old I went to an Arsenal game and there used to be this great centre-back called Tony Adams and he made a play that wasn't anything special there won't be any replays wouldn't make any highlights but everyone in the stadium stood up and applauded it was, it was what we call a football play just a smart defensive mm-hmm. play that not everyone would catch and when I first came to the States and in certain other places, when those plays happen on the field, people don't recognize them. They only clap for a bicycle kick or a crazy goal. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Seattle, sometimes Alonso makes a turn in the center circle, beats two guys, and it's not going to make top 10. But people see that was a smart play and they mm-hmm. clap. So I think people here actually educate about the game. They get the game and they get the tactics and all of that. And those conversations spark and get things going. And then we all get involved and... I just feel, you know, the team has done well since becoming coming in. If the Sounders came in and tanked, it wouldn't be as much. They mm-hmm. created that buzz by performing well. And then also all the outlets that cover the Sounders. And it's just a healthy conversation that, you know, when I was a player, I wasn't too, I didn't want to be too involved with it because you want to focus your mind on playing. Mm-hmm. But now who cares? I can do it. And so I'm just a part of it as well. But yeah, I just think the media does such a great job here of covering the team, being fair, um, critical when they need to, and praise when they need to, but they're educated about the game.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and to be around such a soccer intelligent culture, what's been the hardest part of, of being a broadcaster in that?
1: The hardest part for me is these guys are my friends. So if they have a bad game, I have to say it. And, you know, I one of the things when they asked me to do broadcasting was I demanded that um, I would be able to be objective. Like I can't be... If Sounders are losing 2-0 and playing terribly, I can't be forced to put a positive spin to it. If it's that bad, like it was in Kansas City um, just over a month ago, then it's just that bad. If it's great, then it's great. But no, these are my friends. Like, you know, like I would be broadcasting last year, but then I'd be having dinner with Oba, for example. But if he didn't have the best game, I have to say it. You know, and so learning to separate that, the friendships I have, you know, and now it's easier because... I love the guys I've turned over and only a few guys that I actually mm-hmm. played with. I still know all the guys, but guys that I'm friends with, it's can count on one hand. So it's easy in that sense. I don't really talk to them like that anymore. So, um, um, yeah, that makes it easier, but that was the toughest part kind of like that way. And um, also cause I'm young, I should be playing in that sense. There's that mm-hmm. side to it as well. Without the injury I'd be playing. Who knows where I'd be. If I'd be in Seattle, if I'd be another MLS team, if I'd have gone to Europe, I don't know. But, um, there's that part of it, too, where I'm doing this prematurely, in a sense, and learning um, my way around it as well. So there's that side of it, too. But the hardest part was just disconnecting from the friendships and talking objectively. Yeah.
0: You, uh, you've also done, you've done a lot of charity work and stuff. Yeah. Dave Clark, one of his stories was um, going to a clinic that you put on uh, for women uh, to learn how to yeah. play soccer. And he said that he showed up and he was one of two guys there, you and him. And he he was so proud and so happy to see uh, somebody making an effort like that that yeah. nobody really does that normally yeah. um, do you what, what are your plans for the future both as a broadcaster and um, with all the charity work you've done
1: yeah you know I it was it was James Riley former teammate who got me community based you know, he'd played in a few MLS cities um, and then even more by the time he retired but when we met you know he just come from New England and he told me we used to carpool together we used to live downtown close to each other uh, and this is before i had a car and i just came to seattle we me to training and he used to just say you know make sure you're active in a community we have a platform you can give back so he would take me to the boys and girls club with him in different places and then eventually i wanted my own outlet so i started kingdom hope through that we would do clinics back then and um just anything geared towards young people helping them um you know giving them positive role models and things like that i wanted to do And it's just grown. And then the main thing I guess we do now is the charity game that we do every year. And it's kind of our fundraising dinner. A lot of nonprofits do fundraising dinners and stuff. We don't do that. We do a game and we bring out a Seattle community. We raise a ton of money through that. And then that money in turn goes back to two things. One is scholarships for education, which actually is helping to um, subsidize the high cost of education for students. And the other one is here in Washington, club soccer is expensive, where when I grew up, It was like you know one day my dad just said you want to play football i said yeah and then the next week i was on a team Mm -hmm. and at no cost to my family and that happens up and down the country and you're playing from a young age um here it's so expensive just to play Mm -hmm. it kind of prices some people out so we you know have scholarships there that we give out um to students and we have them do things in the community they have to qualify for it Mm -hmm. we don't just give the money and then once they've satisfied that part of it kind of you know I want their perspective to be community based. Then we give them that financial reward. So you know, the immediate plans is just to keep doing the game. Um, it's going to be happening every year. We're going to be bringing in different players to Seattle. You know, we've bought, you know, and today probably is a good day um, <laughs> to remind everyone that the last time he played was here, Landon Donovan. You know, and all the news surrounding him. But we've brought him to Seattle, Dwayne De Rosario, so many of the, my former teammates on the Sounders, Jimmy Conrad, um, Eddie Johnson's been here. So it's just like having those guys come to Starfire to play in a fun environment, the community to see them, family-friendly atmosphere. I want to keep growing that game, see where that can go. We're going to be bringing some really decent players again next year and um, just keep raising those funds and then those can spread across to help more students and then take it from there.
0: Yeah, that's great. Do you think that a lot of soccer cities would have welcomed Landon Donovan onto their field like the Seattle community did?
1: No, initially (laughs) we had like a little bit of resistance because (laughs) I, I, I was oblivious to it, I guess. I didn't know that Seattle didn't have you know, the greatest opinion of Landon. Like, they love him as a player, I'm sure, when you play for the national team and that, but just, you know, his Galaxy ties, I guess, were so strong. And that's a team that's beaten us a few times in important games, and he was a part of that, Um, where it didn't run strong. But I think once he got here to Seattle, and they saw how he was um, very humble, interacting with everyone, posing for pictures, um, had a hat-trick. Um, I think that made them um, appreciate him, and in my conversations with him, he's, he's always spoken highly of Seattle. He's always, always said that this is what America should be like. What's happening here in Seattle needs to be replicated in all the other cities and areas in this country for the sport to be where we know it should be. And so he, I've never had a convo with him where he speaks down to Seattle. He's always, I think, in another life, if you know, he wasn't so tied to Bruce Serena and the Galaxy, he would probably would have wanted to play for Seattle
0: that's great yeah i think a lot of people would be glad to hear that yeah he said he'd like other cities to replicate seattle's culture yeah yeah that's great um cool the you know the the kind of uh, heart of of this podcast Mm -hmm. like i told you is finding a story that that somebody wants everyone in seattle every sounders fan to know about um whether it's a big story whether it's a small story whether it's public whether it's private um what's that story for you that you want everybody to know
1: I mean, there's so many I can think of. So many. I mean, I'll give probably a couple. Like, there's there's yeah. when I first realized that um, it it was real, like this was a real football city. Like, this is where people cared. Was my rookie year. There was a guy after a game. You know, we were walking off the off the pitch, going down the tunnel, and he came down and he stuck his leg out for me to sign it. And I saw that Montero had signed it, Lumberg had signed it, and Casey Keller had signed it. And I was the fourth one to sign it. And I just kind of signed it and didn't think of it, anything of it. Came back the next year, next season, and he was the same guy was there. And he had gone and got those autographs tattooed on his legs around us. And I remember being freaked out by it. Like that's I would never do that. It's just my signature. But that showed me that people generally care about this team and they want to support this team and they're big fans of this team. So that's like on the fan, um, the fan side of thing I can yeah. talk about when the earthquake happened in Haiti. Um, I think in 2010, and we partnered with a Sounders fan group and we did an event, literally, spur of the moment, myself, James Riley, Patrick Kiani, and we raised some money for the earthquake um, victims in Haiti. Things like that, um, that this community comes around, I think is huge. And then on the soccer side of it, there's probably so many from the locker room and things like that. But um, in when I was re- rehabbing from my injury, um, I think it was 20. 12 towards the end of 2012 and I'd been training for a couple months and I'd already played five minutes against Colorado and Ziggy had told me after that that I kind of just put you out there to get that out of the way now you're gonna have to earn your place back which was fair and two months I'd been training and then I was always a good training player like I would play well and then I started to reach not quite my pre-injury level but a decent level enough in training that there was people playing ahead of me that I thought I should be getting minutes at least coming on as a sub at that point and Ziggy wasn't playing me we had a Champions League game in um, Trinidad, I think it was, and the team was really bad. And we were 3 0 up, 70th minute or so. And I'm, Ziggy has to give me at least 20 minutes. And then he made his third and final sub. And I remember being so on the bench, visibly upset with Ziggy because I really wanted to play. We had Dallas on Sunday, which I didn't think I'd be playing um, in a couple of days. So th- why would he not put me in? Like, I didn't know if I had done something to, you know, kind of upset Ziggy, but why would you not put me on? So, as I'm on the bench, talking to the assistants, um, my other teammates on the bench and being upset, why am I not playing? Ziggy called me over. And literally, as the game was going on, so I went walked over to him begrudgingly and he put his arm around me and just said, you know, you've been playing really well in training and that's why I didn't play you tonight. And that didn't make sense to me. That's like backwards. If you're playing well in training, you should play in the games. But he says, because I'm actually going to start you on Sunday in Dallas. And this was my first start. Not even, I had not made any substitute appearances in MLS. And he was going to start me away to Dallas in a big game. And I remember I played a ton of games for the Sounders, played a lot of games in my career, in college, growing up. I've never been as excited about a game as that. That was like on a Thursday night and the game, we went straight to Dallas from there. The game was on a Sunday. And just the anticipation and being finally back, like I've never had that feeling before or after. Just that one game. All the rehab and everything led to this moment. And then we get to the stadium in Dallas. And I remember sitting by the trainers. We checked the weather and it was 80, 90, 100 degrees. And I'm like, this is probably the worst game (laughs) Ziggy could have put me back in. And I told him, I'm not going to last. Like, There's no way I can play. And then the trainer, um, Randy, put a piece of tape around my wrist and he wrote 500. And it had been exactly 500 days since the injury to now. And he goes. Every time you get tired, look down and remind yourself how long you've waited for this. And I thought that was a really nice touch. And then the game went well. Had an assist tomorrow, um, and we tied the game 1-1. Should have scored. Freddie gave me a good ball, and I missed that chance. Um, so yeah, those kinds of things for me, like they no matter where I go in my life, my career, things I do, I always remember those kinds of moments. And uh, of the up and down world of being a professional um, footballer, it's just it's a crazy life, but. Um, that's one of the ones, man. There's so many. I don't know how many, how much time you have and how many stories you need, but um, there's yeah I mean, of them.
0: If, it, if anything stands out, um, you know, if, you know, I'm open. And if, if there's any uh, specific game that you kind of, you know, that sounds like one of the most, that you remember the most. Mm-hmm. Are there any others that like, just yeah. like burned into your brain?
1: One of my best games, you know, I always feel like, you know, a lot of people who've watched the Sounders since day one, they know what I did in 09 and 2010, you know, and then what I was doing in 2011. But I I always remember that there was, when I came back, I never had a stretch of like six or seven months where I just stayed healthy and could just play and really get my form back. But there was always like glimpses. Um, We played LA Galaxy here in the playoffs end of 2012 and we'd lost 3-0, I think it was, in the first leg, which we always seem to be in a hole after the first leg. And then we came back to Seattle and I hadn't really played in the first leg. I'd played like 10 minutes maybe. And then Ziggy started me here. And... That's one of the best games of my career. I was going against my friend, Sean Franklin, and we always would have good battles. But some days he would get me. But this was one of those days where, from the first minute, I knew my touch was on and I would have him. And I remember just that day, Eddie played like a man possessed. Like He was all over Omar Gonzalez. Brad Evans was unbelievable. Alonso, we, just, we were 3-0 down. But we you could see the Galaxy players. Landon didn't play. He was on the bench. He did travel. I remember seeing his face during the game and they felt we we're going to beat them. And I remember David Beckham on the field yelling at his teammates because we, just the way we played and then Eddie scored, it was offside. Five minutes later, Eddie scores again, 1-0. And then I think it's Zach or Someone scored second off, 2-0. And we're like, we've got them. We're definitely getting a third and a fourth. We've got them and we're killing them. And then Robbie Keane goes down the other end, wins a penalty. They scored a penalty. It kind of takes the wind out of ourselves. But those kinds of games for me, it's like um, I was always happy with those performances after the injury, because it was always giving me glimpses of where I could get to if I had stayed fit for six to seven. You need that time to really get your form going and confidence. Um but that's a game that definitely sticks out. Um, you know, there's so many stuff like this sport, it's brought me close to people that I grew up watching. I was in a stadium when Freddie Lundberg made his debut. And then nine years later, eleven years later, whatever it was, to be sitting in the locker room. My locker at Starfire uh, Training Center was next to his. They had it numbered by number order back in those days. And he was number 10, I was number 11. So we every day we just talked. And Freddie Lundberg was a big deal in England growing up. Like he helped Arsenal be successful. I was one of those kids cheering for him and then going to the playground in school the next day and being him and being Henry. And this sport is what brought me close to him. I never forget when I met Thierry Henry. Like, this is like the messy of my time. And they'd come to see they had come to the Northwest. They played Portland. He got a red card. But New York stayed on the um on this on the Pacific Northwest for the Seattle game a few days later. And he wasn't playing. So he didn't have like the curfew or anything like that. He just wasn't playing. So we ended up through mutual friends connecting and I went to his hotel, team hotel, and we sat in the lounge and hours just talking. Like it's the first time I've met Terry Henry and we're talking like old friends. And it was surreal. And as soon as I left there, I'm texting my friends that you'll never guess who I just had dinner with. And they can't believe it to this day because this is Thierry Henry. But then we became friends after that. So it's like this sport brought me towards that. And then the last story is um, the day I changed shirts with David Beckham, which for me is like, it's always funny because you change jerseys with a lot of people, but this one was weird the way it happened. It was 2010 um, after the game. And you know he and I we'd been friendly because you know I'm from England and, but nothing more than that nothing beyond that and I'd scored um, to bring it back to 2-1 but we'd lost in the playoffs And then, so season's done leaving the pitch and I said to him look I, hey mate can I have your shirt and he says to me i got to give this to charity it was you know they there's a charity organisation here that's got to go to but I'll find you backstage and I'll give you one and at the time I remember thinking that's like a really nice way just to say no like (laughs) just to say I can't give it to you but really nice way so I said no big deal I didn't expect anything more of that went back to the changing room Ziggy gave you know his end of season speech season's over and then the LA equipment guy I think his name is Raul I knew him he came in with four David Beckham shirts and he gave one I think to Ziggy maybe two to Ziggy one to Freddie Montero one to Alonso and I didn't get one so I followed him out I said like yo did, where's my shirt like he said david said like i'm getting a shirt and he says to me oh yeah yeah, steve don't worry david's gonna give you your one personally and that didn't make sense to me so he says follow me so i well, if anyone who's been to StubHub at the time was the home depot center it's a huge facility and to get from the sounders locker room to the home team the L locker room is you go down some really long hallway so as i turn left going down that hallway i see david one of his kids the nanny, the security guard, the whole crew coming towards me. And I generally felt like I was in a movie because I grew up in England where he's like the king of England. Like this is, 100, it's like maybe how Russell Wilson is in Seattle. Maybe something, maybe that's a 10% of it. Like he was the man in England, like what he'd done for the England national team. And I was one of the kids watching him. So to be walking towards him and he was swinging his Galaxy shirt and his hand and coming towards me. And, you know, we exchanged shirts. We made small talk. And then I turned to leave and he says, well, where's your shirt? And I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, like, it's on the team bus. It's going back to the hotel. He goes, well, get back to Seattle and mail me your shirt. Like, I like to collect shirts of players who I respect. And that is, like, my mom's highlight of my career. Like, when I told her that story, <laughs> it's, like, it's huge. It's David Beckham. So those things for me, it's, just, it's only been made possible by the sport. And those are, like, Beckham, Henry are huge players, obviously. But just every friendship I've made... Um, with even my twitter friends now who we never know each other in real life but we talk every day on twitter like we're just you know what do you think about the game and i thought this and that like that for me is like this sport is it can do so many things for us and i'm so happy to be in a city like seattle where the people embrace that it's not enough we're not competing with the seahawks here they have their fan base we have our fan base some people do both but there are people who just care about the sounders and when the team loses they'll be like, oh, we suck, and, you know, I'm never going to a game again, and the next week they'll be in the front row cheering again. Like I love that kind of passion, um, and we have that in Seattle. So I'm just grateful to be a part of that, man, honestly. like, And any small role I've played, I'm happy, but it's more the role the people I've played it for my, for me to be here.
0: That's great. Yeah, that's a, a great, a great <laughs> way to put it. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Steve. I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, those uh, are some great stories.
1: Yeah, where, where can – uh, fans find you? My website um kingdomhope.org for my non-profit and then zakwani11 on Twitter. I think my Instagram is stevezakwani11 and then I'm just Zakwani on Facebook. And You know, I try on Twitter just to, like, I'm super, if you want me to follow you back, I'll follow you back. Like, yeah. I, I follow, I don't really follow players. I follow like the media people and fans because i like to see that commentary like after games and get that perspective because i can talk to the players but mm-hmm. i like seeing after a game what the pulse of twitter is saying so i follow yep. that so yeah i love to follow anyone back and engage um on especially on that platform
0: yeah that's great and fans can hear you um at halftime and where else on broadcast
1: yeah so pre-game show for tv um and then halftime sometimes on post-game show mm-hmm. and then usually in-game radio yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind of a bit of both. And then um, the Sound of Soccer podcast we do every week, which is like analysis and talking about the game. So, yeah, just all different places. Yeah, yeah,
0: great. Again, thank you very much. Pleasure, man. Thank you. I'm Spencer Davis, and thanks again for listening to Episode 2 of Sound Stories, a Seattle soccer podcast from ESPN 710. To so be sure not to miss future episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at, at 710 Seattle, and don't miss any of our Seattle Sounders coverage on 710sports.com.